these are not the only awards for journalism each year. Uh, there are separate awards for radio and television, uh, but these are perhaps the most comprehensive and the most uh, aligned towards journalism. For the individual journalists, I don't think they are such a big deal. I mean, they like to be nominated, but as for whether, um, you know, David Fisher beats Matt Nippert or, um, you know, uh, Audrey Young gets a prize over Andrea Vance for politics or something like that, I don't think it matters to them. The vibe's pretty collegial, judging by the, um, the social media. And this year, I, I didn't go, but it, it was streamed online, so you, you know I watched it, and you know you could tell people were pleased for each other. But I mean, beyond that, um, I think it is still as good to have awards that recognise that some of the journalism that really takes time and takes risks, that stuff takes a lot of effort. And there's no real reward for those journalists don't get pay rises uh, directly for, for doing a great job or doing award-winning stuff like that. So it's nice that those are recognised. Also for stuff that's truly original. For example, um, there was a prize for Toby Morris, the illustrator, at the spin-off and the collaboration he did on COVID with uh, the scientist Susie Wiles. And that, uh, I think, went global. So that's really good. And also just the fact that... Um, these days, there are really few occasions where journalists and editors can meet and talk. We don't have a press club. We don't have anything like um, Australia's Walkley Institute, where they have um, even twice yearly uh, awards. There are a few conferences and so on, especially after all the disruption of COVID. I think it was good that um, people were able to get together. So n- not so much for the individual journalists, but certainly uh, the companies, the editors, uh, the media outlets themselves, they really do value these awards and getting more than their uh, their rivals or competitors, as you can see from the ads that they place, you know, that were all over the weekend papers and I think are, are still running in some papers um, today. So an opportunity to blow their own trumpet, that kind of thing, last Friday? Yep, and in those ads ever since. But this sort of happens every year. It's kind of a shame in a way. So Stuff, for example, won the most prizes and uh, they were patting themselves on the back in their own news story about their agenda-setting stories. Um, But they didn't acknowledge in their story any uh, other awards that they did online. They put a link to the full list of winners. Um, The Herald pretty much did the same. Their headline was... NZ Herald wins supreme digital prizes at the Voyager Rewards. But the funny thing about their story was at the end, um, they noted their own chief executive, Michael Boggs, as the current chair of the News Publishers Association. So the Herald quoted him as saying, uh, I'd like to congratulate all the finalists and winners. Uh, New Zealanders can have confidence that they're well served by world-class editorial teams and Kiwis can have trust and confidence in them. You know, but if that's true, like, why not put them in the news story uh, and mention their wins along with the Herald's own one? And RNZ, just the same. Uh, they did a story that was all about their seven winners out of uh, 66. Um, their story quoted uh, the chief executive, Paul Thompson, as saying, you know, these awards showcase the very best journalism in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, so if so, you know, you'd think that um, the winners should uh, merit a mention. So that was basically just a, uh, an RNZ press release that was published as a news story, um, which isn't so great. Same for TVNZ, though Business Desk will give them a shout out because uh, they did a story about them winning big with their prizes, but also published a link to the full list of winners from the uh, from the, the News Publishers Association, the organisers. So um, people who clicked on that could confirm that people from other outlets did indeed win prizes as well as the ones that were reporting on their own successes. That's funny. Um, what were the significant or outstanding Voyager awards? Well, I suppose you could say that the, the numbers won by the digital startups, the likes of the spin-off, Newsroom and Business Desk, who I just mentioned, they've all got going within the last uh, five to six years. Uh, and the fact is, like I say, it doesn't matter if they 
don't win the categories or do, but the fact that they're up there and nominated in their journalism as relatively uh, young outlets is um, up there in the eyes of judges along with the others. I think that's important to to them. Uh, The Listener's Award is interesting because a year ago that magazine didn't even exist. Um, You know, Bauer had shut down completely and the future of of that magazine was up in the air. So they will really enjoy having been uh, voted uh, or judged best newsstand magazine of the year. Uh, but also you could say, uh, you know, what, what you could call stuff's kind of activist journalism, social impact stuff. That got thoroughly endorsed by the judges. So Carmen Parahi was named the editorial leader of the year. She created the Māori News section or, or drove that. That's at Potiaki on the stuff site. And also the Tamata Porno Project, uh, Our Truth, which acknowledged uh, the failings uh, and racism in, in past coverage of stuff's papers, uh, stretching back 150, 160 years um, there was some blowback, you know, from customers and some in journalism that thought this wasn't the right thing to do. So that was a pretty bold step. They'll enjoy having that endorsed. Also, uh, the Stuff's Journalist of the Year was Alison Moore, uh, won that prize for Stuff's Me Too reporting. And that, indeed, the same. Some journalists uh, and, and others criticised the project. So uh, they can be pleased with that, I think. But uh, there was a wee bit of a hiccup. Uh, with that that we can hear now the MC Tony Street uh, announced her award this way Ali's revelations concerning two well-known figures in New Zealand's academic life were fearless, determined pursuits that deserve the highest condemnation So I think Tony meant to say uh, the highest commendation rather than condemnation but just a little slip there, that's pretty mean of me uh, to play that. Um, I've certainly done worse (laughs) when I've had to uh, present things live so I know what that feels like but Alison Moore herself also made an interesting shout out when uh, she accepted her award. I'd like to actually give a shout out to Robert Stewart if he's here. much love, but Robert Stewart is the one that either says, back to the drawing board, Ali, or yes, we're a go. Mm. So Robert Stewart's a media lawyer who would have been well known to many in, in that room. Indeed, I've, I've had to deal with him uh, time to time when there have been legal issues uh, for Media Watch items. And many of the critics of the Me Too project, you know, they call it a witch hunt or said that this would be an avenue for unproven grievances that could do a lot of harm and even grudges. Uh, she always insisted, Alison Moore, that this would uh, stand up to legal scrutiny. And so I think appropriate that she um, gave that shout out to, to Robert Stewart. Exactly. How about interesting speeches or controversial moments? Uh, well, no, there weren't any. People were pretty mild, and indeed they didn't have much opportunity to speak. They were just a minute or so short speeches. But there was one interesting appearance, unexpected actually, uh, I thought, from Judith Collins. Um, and I was surprised to see her pop up at the Media Awards, um, given that the media have given her a pretty hard time lately. But uh, she just gave a very short, I mean less than a minute, I think she spoke for, but this is what she wanted the journalists to know. Thank you for all the great work you did during COVID. I know it was a really tough year for you and you understand I feel your pain. It was a tough year too. So thank you for doing that because a liberal democracy needs a free and brave press. So thank you for doing your job and going out every day and doing the stuff that actually a lot of people wouldn't want to do. Thank you. 
So, yeah, it, she got a bit of a cheer there, but it fell a bit flat, those comments. Indeed, some on social media, some journalists said, look, I saw her stand up and take the stage. I didn't even hear what she said, and they were a bit puzzled by it. But um, I thought that was fairly gracious of her to turn up if she was invited and to, and to say those things because, yeah, she is getting a real hard time from the, the media lately. And she also referenced... Uh, you know, that COVID had had such an impact on the media industry. If you go back a year, I mean, things were looking so desperate for a lot of companies. People weren't sure of their futures. Pay was being cut. Um, people were being laid off and so on. So f- for her to have that awareness, I think, was uh, was a good and positive thing. Exactly. Another thing, actually, that I did note uh, from the night was that there was one prize that used to be really worth winning. That's um, There's a Wolfson Fellowship that gets awarded or used to get awarded every year. And this is about three or four months to study at Green College in Oxford uh, with, the, I think, the Reuters Foundation underwrites this. So that was a much sought after prize. And uh, what I discovered was that the last person to win it was in 2019, Patrick Crudson, chief editor of Stuff. And he... Um, didn't ever get the chance to go. So uh, COVID struck in 2020. So the poor guy won that two years ago, still hasn't had the opportunity to go. And uh, I asked the Newspaper Publishers Association, look, is the Wolfson Fellowship uh, still a goer? And uh, they said, look, unfortunately not. They haven't chosen another one while you know no one's able to go. And it turns out that um, I think Bauer Media uh, might have been actually underwriting uh, that prize. So uh, if, well, well, they're now effectively um, off the scene. So I wonder whether they'll be able to bring that prize back. But let's hope so, because it's a good reward for um, sort of mid to late career journalists who, um, who are judged um, worthy of that prize and get the opportunity to reflect and study a topic of interest um, in a three or four month stretch in the UK. No, it's very good. Time will tell, won't it? Yeah, indeed. And also I would give a... um a shout out to uh, the journalists, a special award, I think maybe for 2022 next year for the Christchurch reporters. After attending the big do at the Auckland Town Hall, uh, some of them barely 48 hours later were literally pitched into the Canterbury floods. Indeed, one of them, Charlie Gates of the Press, tweeted a, a great pair of selfies. One was at the awards, you know, drink in hand, having a great time. Uh, yeah, less than, a, uh, I think, a day and a half later, he was um, up to his gum, uh, top of his gumboots in, in dirty water. And uh, also Thomas Mead of TVNZ, uh, he won a prize for Best, best Breaking News Video, uh, the award for covering floods in Southland last year. And then <laughs> after picking that up less than two days later, he's straight back into another flood uh, reporting that one. So I guess he's got his entry sorted out for next year. I guess he has. Well, that story is continuing and it's no fun for anyone who's got their gumboots on at the moment. No, indeed. And uh, in fact, one of Charlie Gates's colleagues apologised. Sam Sherwood said, sorry, um, Charlie, I nicked your gumboots to cover the floods before you got back. But he said he had a spare pair, so no harm done. Let's go to sport now. Yeah, sure. This, I mean, the, the Naomi Osaka's decision to quit the French Open, uh, that was prompted by her press conference boycott. That's really divided uh, public and the media. And some people, you know, as we've heard, felt that... Uh, you know, they, well, some applauded her for putting mental health first, saying this is important to me, and taking a stand that she, that other sports stars who struggle with it could follow. Uh, but some reckon, look, a tennis pro uh, who signed up for these big tournaments, she should fulfil her obligations like all the others do. And they criticised her for not, you know, talking this move over with the authorities first, just going out and announcing it on social media. Now, one of those was the tennis commentator Dave Worsley, uh, who covers tennis for uh, Morning Report. And here's what he had to say on Monday on Morning Report. She needs to understand that 
it is a requirement of her job that has made her the richest female athlete in the world for the last two years. But she just needs to be helped and needs to be given good advice. And the media people at these Grand Slams need to actually guide the questions and guide the players. So really, it's a miscommunication the whole way through. Yeah, now that didn't go down very well with Morning Report listeners, judging by the feedback that was sent in and was read out at the end of the show. Some thought that was really insensitive, that really her mental health should come first. But, um, you know, I do wonder, looking up his biography, uh, it does say uh, Dave Worsley is a tennis communications manager. So I imagine if he would take a dim view of a tennis player not doing their obligatory communications. In fact, he hit back at someone on Twitter who criticised him, saying... Um, my background as a comms manager in tennis around the world and having covered more Grand Slams than any other Kiwi gives me the background to knowing the tennis scene. So, you know, he felt he was putting people in their place. But he wasn't the only one who's saying this, actually. Gavin Ellis, who's, um, you know, used to be Nine to Noon's media commentator, former editor of the New Zealand Herald, he does a weekly commentary on the media. Uh, he said of Naomi Osaka, uh, what she couched as support for mental health is, in fact, a grandiose gesture that suggests the 23-year-old is getting too big for her Nike Air Zoom GP turbos. Um, so not, not familiar with those. I guess those are fancy tennis shoes. But, um, I yeah, guess he, they are. Yeah, he objected to the fact that she'd said, I don't want to do these press conferences with people who doubt me. So he thought that she was just trying to get away from a part of the thing that's you know part of the job as a pro tennis player uh, that she didn't enjoy um, but it was after that that the full measure of her distress that she said you know she'd struggled with depression and that it was a bigger deal than just not wanting to do press conferences. And did any of her critics come back and apologise or change their tune? Well Gavin actually did he said look we can see uh, in, in to and fro's on social media forums you know he said look you know now I understand that she's said she struggled with depression and anxiety but uh, this the, the smarter thing to do he felt and others felt would have been to withdraw from tournaments altogether not to try and select um, the media conferences as you know something that would add, add to her anxiety but you know I suppose there's an argument that tennis fans wouldn't really care whether she attends these press conferences or not and if they stress her out and I certainly know people who are perfectly capable but don't like answering questions or being under the spotlight in that way uh, that you'd think would be valid but um, I, I suppose some people and some commentators have said look the part of the problem is um, the kind of vagueness of just citing mental health because you know some people that means look a really acute condition, um, really dangerous and something that you need to take great care of. Others feel look, that you know mental health this can just mean taking care of your well being and and you know if you avoid things that aren't great for your well being they might be just merely you know irritating or upsetting things. So some people weren't convinced that this was a genuine mental health problem. But others say and have pointed out. You know, she's taking the stand because she can afford to. She was fined for it and then threatened with the expulsion. And she can take that hit because only a fraction of her income comes from tournament earnings um, at things like the French Open. The rest of it is all through sponsorships, endorsement, and all that uh, depends upon exposure in the media in things like post-match press conferences that she doesn't want to do. And players that aren't as well rewarded as her, she's at that very top rank, um, you know, can't afford to take such a stance.